For many business leaders, conflict feels like a topic best left to human resources. Yet unresolved conflict has real bottom line impact. Loss in revenue, legal costs, drop in productivity, decreased motivation, and turnover. That's why we've created the Beauty of Conflict Journey, an online interactive learning experience to help you, your team, and your entire organization learn to embrace conflict in new and healthy ways. Find out more at www.thriving.com forward slash BOC hyphen journey. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have attorney Fred Golder, who has over 30 years of experience in conflict resolution as a mediator, arbitrator, and fact finder, and has taught conflict resolution as well as other courses at several schools, including Northeastern University, Harvard Law School, Boston College Law School, Boston University School of Law, MIT, and Emory Law School. Fred Golder has also presented educational programs for organizations. His books include Reaching Common Ground, A Comprehensive Guide to Conflict Resolution, Uncivil Rights, A Guide to Workers' Rights, Labor and Employment Law, Compliance and Litigation. Welcome, Fred. We're excited to have you. Yes. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) This seems like a really poignant time in the world and in our country to talk about how what conflict is, what it isn't, how it impacts, how we do our work, how we live, how we relate. And you seem like an expert in that area. And did a lot of research in that area. Yes, we're interested to talk to you. It's interesting because about, I've been teaching and practicing conflict resolution for years. And then 2015, was like, what's happening? What's going on? The world is getting crazy. Things used to be simple. And I decided I want to look at conflict in in a more comprehensive way. I understood the how to do it. And I'd been teaching students for years how to do it. And I said, there's got to be a why. What's going on? So I looked at evolution. I looked at from so many different directions, genetics. I know it sounds a little strange, but genetics biology, personality, psychology. I looked at it from many different aspects. And because I'm in academia, in addition to being in the real world, I got access to some amazing people, some brilliant people who have been studying their particular area for years, evolution, personality, psychology, emotion. Some of the people that really started some of the fields that that are so important today. So I'm like, really excited. And I do this research and I said, I have to share this with all the people out there because I learned so much. That really became my book, Reaching Common Ground, because I know we can do it. I really know we can do it. (laughs) Yes. I know from doing a little bit of exploration with your book and the broad scope in which it covers that what struck me as I was going through it is there are these even though there's a lot of different roads to understanding conflict, how it different people have different stories, different perspective, different expertise, there's still this place where none of those answers are necessarily, and the key is trying to actually find a path to understand the common threads or the ways to actually relate in this world that may seem so contextually different depending on how you come at it. And that's really the tricky part is how to be with somebody who has a very divergent or different expertise, point of view, or perspective. Is that or values? That's where I came to when I was reading your book. 
Okay, so here's the thing. The research led me to some, what I consider to be the reasons for the polarization. And we often don't think about it, but for example, one of the main reasons for polarization is genetic differences. We're all genetically different. We don't have any control over it, but we're genetically different, and which is nature. And we all come from different environmental backgrounds. The nurture part of us, we don't have any control over that when we start out. But I think if you appreciate the fact that people are going to be different because of their different backgrounds, nature and nurture, then you say, okay, given your background, given your nature, given your environment, given your culture, given all of those things, I would expect you to have different views from me. And I'm not going to judge you for having different views. I'm going to say, yeah, that makes sense. You should have those views. If I grew up, for example, in Gaza, that's a different cultural environment for me. So I think differently. If I were if the same person brought up in a different place, is going to look at things in a different way. And when you understand and appreciate those differences, I think it makes you more respectful of the other people who have these differences. I think I like what you're saying. I think what I'm hearing is that, yes, there are all sorts of ways in which from nature to nurture to what you got trained in to culture and all different locations, all sorts of things that can are going to make us inherently different. And the thing, though, that is interesting about what you're saying is there's two parts to that. One, I think sometimes what took me a long time to realize and take ownership and responsibility for understanding myself, like, how did I get to be this way? And that, because it's so easy to just assume everybody else is like me too, and we're all in the same battle. <laughs> and it's much more, it's helped much better if I can just change this other person then have to work on myself and understand myself. <laughs> and so there's that piece, which I think we're up against. And then there's also the piece of, and these, this person is different than me. And it's not about me trying to change them. It's about me getting interested in them and being like, there's something that's way more possible when we're in this together with our differences than when we're in it individually in our separation. Yeah, and, and the personality. The nature and the nurture create our personalities. And if you study personality, you know about the big five, how we're different. Some people are very open. Some people are very closed. Some people are very conscientious. Some people not. So you have all of those differences that, that we have. So the trick, if you want to call it, it's not really, but people don't want to be judged. They want to be understood. So I like to have, when I'm involved as a mediator, I like to have what I call learning conversations. And I like to try to engage the people in learning conversation. Don't judge me. Don't give me your opinions about it. You can share your opinions and I'm going to listen to your opinions. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to learn from you where you come from. A lot of people think of conflict as bad Conflict is not. Conflict yeah. is actually people who are meeting at a place where they have different views and different perspectives and different opinions. And conflict can be invigorating because you can work together toward a solution to the conflict. 
which is I think, what we... Fred, you need to be the mediator for some of the debates that are going on around, because just even I was also thinking these were in the presidential debates yes. are happening, right? Lining sure. up to it. But what strikes me is even the approach taking coming in, it's about it. I don't know that there's a learning conversation that's designed to happen. And that definitely the people walking out on that stage are not thinking about learning about each other. They're thinking, and I don't know whether even the people in the audience are, they just witness a fight pretty much. And even though debate is designed to be, to position yourself, I don't think it's designed to be position yourself against the other person. It's position yourself in the structure of what are you going to do about government? What are you going to do about the topic? topic? Yeah. And that has to do with hidden biases that we all have. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to admit that we have these biases. We think we know more than we do. Uh, we do. We have this, uh, the illusion of knowledge. We think we know something we don't really know very much. And we have these ego things that are built in. We have the self-esteem. And unfortunately, in the political arena, for the most part, it's not necessarily about understanding each other, which is where we really have gone off the rails. It's about winning. They don't really care about listening to each other. They care about winning. But the problem with that mindset is you lose the ability to find solutions to problems. And the people in government have to start thinking about how do we solve the problems? The fact is that we have different opinions. And I don't know if you've read Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, but it's a wonderful book. And he talks about moral foundations mm-hmm. and Republicans and Democrats have different moral foundations, things that are really important to them. Some of them might be, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but loyalty is important, much more important, for example, to the Republican leaning folks, not so much important to the Democratic leaning folks. They're more interested in things like freedom, things like free choices and things of that nature. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's just that they have a moral foundation, things that are really vitally important to them. And they think that if they find common ground with each other, that somehow they're going to be giving up their moral foundation. Instead of saying, you know what, I was elected to serve the people. I might have been running as a Democrat or Republican, But now that I'm in office, I'm here to represent all of us. And we have to get to change the mindset, but it becomes difficult because it's about winning, not about solving problems. And I think we have to change the dynamic and we can do it. I believe it. We would be curious in thinking about one. I think what you're saying is there's a huge cost if we just continue on with our political structure the way it is about Winning. winning. I think there's also a huge cost when conflict becomes so polarized in whether business, a relationship. And what do you have you discovered are some of the cost of having conflict be a bad thing versus an opportunity to learn or to expand? See, that's the problem is conflict is a way of solving problems. If you think about a conflict, think about it as a way of solving problems. If you only have your own opinions and you're not willing to open your mind to other possibilities, you're losing, 
your constituents are losing, the country is losing. So the mindset that we'd like to try to encourage, and I think it starts perhaps at the beginning when we're educating our children. And I, I see the internet as one of the problems because, for example, let's assume that I'm left-leaning. I can go to websites where everybody thinks the way I think left-leaning. I, I don't, or right-leaning, the same thing. So what I do is I go to these websites and I don't see any other website. My mind then becomes fixed. The confirmation bias, mm. I reject anything that doesn't confirm my beliefs. And anything that does confirm my belief, I give it extra emphasis. Mm -hmm. And we've got the in-group, out-group. I know this sounds a little strange, but it's an evolutionary advantage back 300,000 years ago to be in-group, out-group because it was limited resource-wise. It was so we became tribal. We traveled around 50 to 150 people. So the in-group, out-group dynamic that has existed, we still have that in-group, out-group bias, but we're not consciously aware of it unless we make ourselves consciously aware of it and say, you know what, maybe this person in the out-group has something to offer that can benefit. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing you say that's pretty relevant to it, like in any situation, especially when it comes to the political divide that we have, but probably in any conflictual situation, if you end up staying in your own select group of thinking, your storyline, however you want to put that, yes, you're limiting the possibility, the creativity. And maybe in an evolutionary standpoint, there was a good reason for that at some point. But we now do have access to the resources. We're not in a needs situation. That's not some people maybe, but for the most part, as a we could we have the means and the resources. So we're actually trying to solve the problem of how to, a problem of how to best distribute that to the needs and the demands of the world, which is different than fighting to survive. And most people, we still have a bias to fight to survive versus consider that we have access to something broader than that if we want to. Is that... That's and that I think that's how it shows up in so many places and how to help people get out of it. Uh, I just think I was thinking about what you were saying, Fred, and it is true. If we are all standing in a room and we divide and you have blue shirts and we have red shirts, all of a sudden you become you're the other team. And we feel closer to these blue people, even though we just walked into the room, we don't know them at all. But they're because <laughs> we're wearing those color T-shirts. But I do think. Even in politics, whatever it is, it's that survival brain. So money and power start driving versus, hey, conflict to solve problems. And I think about the, how Lincoln had his cabinet. He had people from both sides of the table. Mm -hmm. And it really was about, hey, we, we want to solve problems. So I think what you're saying is we need to be better educated in how we're stopping ourselves and how we're reinforcing our survival, the evolution even genetics, if you want to say something about what you found out about genetics, we're reinforcing those things versus becoming aware and saying, wait a minute, I can make a different choice. Mm -hmm. Sure. That, and that's what's going on. The brain reacts emotionally first. Yeah. If you read his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is another mm -hmm. phenomenal book, 
We very oftentimes, and this was a survival, this was an advantage back 300,000 years ago, we had to react. We couldn't think we reacted. If we didn't react, we never had mm. to the next generation. So the emotional part of us humans was that we reacted. And then when we had time to think, we could rationalize. The brain has developed slowly, the rational brain. So the emotional brain that triggers a lot of things then puts us in a situation where we, oh, like I, I have to rationalize and justify the action. And they then go back and rationalize what they did, which actually was an emotional reaction. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, you don't rationally think, gee, maybe the person that cut me off was having a bad day. You don't think about that. You get angry. You react. In fact, your conscious mind doesn't even get it. Your unconscious mind saves your life because you react instinctively or unconsciously to save your life. And that's how the brain works. Thank, fortunately, because if you had to think every time, you would never be able to get anything done. You'd be dead. You wouldn't have the next generations. But the thing is, if you're mindful of it, you can count to 10 and you take a deep breath and then you learn. Emotional intelligence is really what it's all about. Recognizing your emotions, recognizing the emotions of others. I put all of that in there too because it's part of decision-making. It's part of who we are. And if you can react, put it this way, you count to 10 if somebody, your partner gets you mad. One of the things that I like to talk about is the traps to avoid, the intent impact. If you say something to your partner, you may piss her off, and but you didn't intend to. But the impact is so great that you make assumptions and you say, oh, she did that because she wanted to piss me off instead of she got up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe she uh, didn't eat well. Maybe her stomach is upset, but all of those things actually influence our behavior. And our behavior isn't just from one thing. There's so many different things that, that have impact on it. You don't want to say, you know what, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and I'm not going to get angry back at her. I'm going to stop and I'm going to try to use my emotional filter and say, I'm not going to assume that it was because I'm going to just say, by the way, Marie, you said something. I just want to let you know how it made me feel. And then and Susan's going to say, oh, no, I didn't intend that at all. What I, and then you have a reasonable conversation instead of, how could you dare call me that? I'm, <laughs> but that's what people do. And we can stop doing that. We can start saying, I'm not going to assume anything. I'm going to find out by having a learning conversation. I do think that I'm with you. I do want to go back to one piece because I think even in this, the difference, we've done a lot of work with couples over the years as well as businesses. And this whole idea of you were talking about, it's our emotional reaction that gets in the way. I do want to make sure and put in a strong plug that it's an emotional reaction. Some emotions are not helpful. Except in certain times, there's a good time to be, there is a time to be angry and there is a time. And really what you have to understand is whatever emotion is coming up, 
If you don't have some consciousness and awareness of it, it is going to influence that interaction. Because sometimes when you were talking about, like in a couple, often when we're, I've worked with really adversarial couples, and if I can just get them to hint at a time where they remember that they loved each other. <laughs> and just any way, shape, or form that you can have a moment of that, their conflictual conversation is going to be better because they've tapped into a slightly different vibration of emotion. <laughs> I just don't want people walking away thinking, because I think business people tend to get very into their, let's just don't bring emotions into it. And it's no, actually, emotions are in it. So you actually need to make choice about what emotions you're going to use to influence you in any given situation and understand it. I totally agree. In fact, Oftentimes during a mediation, when I'm serving as the mediator, and particularly when it's a hostile situation, I've done a lot of mediation with child, children, husband and wife fighting over child custody. And it, it, those are some of the worst. The emotions have to come out. We have to express ourselves. But when the emotions then start to become non-productive, when they start to interfere or impede in the resolution of their I like to call it a walk on the balcony. We say, you know what? Take Let's break. take time out. <laughs> People have to express their emotions. They have to get it all out. They have to express themselves and you have to give them the space to express themselves. But when they're done expressing themselves, then you say, I appreciate and I'm glad you shared that with me. Now, here we are today. The problems of the past we can't change them. They're gone. We're here today. What can we do going forward? And you try to get them back to a place where they can move forward. So emotions, you try to separate the emotions from the issues as a mediator, but you want the emotions to come out because it's, if you only get the facts, right? If you're Joe Friday and only getting the facts, you're only getting a very small part of the picture. The emotions are necessary. You need the emotions. And then from yes. there, you can really get a salute, get to a better solution. I was, I just had a personal experience with this where I was very stressed and uh, we're at a, in a business meeting. And so I was like, you need to do this. And by the way, Fred, you haven't done that. And Sue's I was bossy. And it wasn't until I actually said, it's really because I'm quite discouraged about what's happening. And when I acknowledged what I was feeling, then the whole tenor, so I was vulnerable because I, I was like, this is not working. Whatever is, what, I couldn't even see what I was doing. I just knew it didn't work. And then I, so I just wanted to admit this is what, how I feel. And that shifted the whole energy. And I think so often we're not aware. I was in my emotional survival brain, wasn't aware. And, but even I didn't process necessarily that. I acknowledged it, not even really expressing like venting. And that helps. So it's another way through in a business context. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those who do not acknowledge the emotional part of us doesn't acknowledge us as humans. Humans are emotional animals. That's they're social animals, they're emotional animals. And I think when people appreciate that, see, and that's the problem. People don't have that mindset. But once you have the mindset, then you can realize, yeah, that's right. It's okay. To have emotions, humans, we're not perfect. We make mistakes all the time, but we're working toward a common goal. We're trying to solve a problem together and emotions are part of it. 
part of being human, and I respect you. I'm glad you shared that with me. That's when, when you get emotionally involved, you say, I'm glad you shared that with me. I appreciate it. And that's part of getting to a solution, but only when you really have all of that stuff out there, the emotional part. Oftentimes, it takes a while to get to what a person really needs. And a lot of it has to do with being valued, being respected. All of those things are really vitally important when you're trying to get to a resolution, when you value, respect people, and then they understand a little bit better and they don't take it personally, but we do take so many things personally when they don't intend it to be personal. That's just their opinion. And you probably have already figured this out. I know you have, but you can't change anybody's opinions. <laughs> they can. You can change your opinion when you feel like it, but I can't give you facts. I can't give you logic. I can't give you reasoning. None of that's going to change your opinion but you will change your opinion if it makes sense to you. Not to me, but it might make sense. When it makes sense to you, then you're going to change your opinion, but not one, one second for, before them. Hey, Fred, do you have like tips for our listeners if they find themselves in a conflict situation? What are one, two, three okay. tips? I'm going to give you tips because I thought you'd be asking me that question. So I put together my, my tips that I think are going to be helpful to your listeners. So I've got five steps that I've put together that minimize cognitive biases in the impact that the biases have on all of us. Okay. So the first thing, the first tip is awareness. Be aware that you have them, even though you may not be consciously, be aware that you have biases that impact your behavior and decision-making and be mindful of that. Practice it and be introspective. What's my worst bias? Maybe your worst bias is you hate ignorance. <laughs> and if somebody appears ignorant, that's one of your, that, but you were aware of it. For example. No, that's right? a great one. Keep let's, let's make sure we get all five. five. Yes. <laughs> and, a great example. Love that. Thanks. Yeah. And then you want to reflect on the past. How did things go in the past? And all of it is to be try to be as aware as you can that these do impact on how you behave and how you decide issues. Okay, so, so that's all tips for being aware, right? Yeah. And okay. you know about the active listening skills. When you're having a conversation with anyone, you have to be open-minded. If you're not sure about what they're talking about, you have to ask for clarification. You want to be attentive to what they're saying summarize, paraphrase, all of those things so that the person on the other side of the conversation knows you're listening, you're attentive, and you're reflecting feelings, you're attuned to feelings, you're asking probably questions. And now come the stuff that I wanted to leave with your audience. We don't, have, I, I put together, this is really interesting. I, I thought it was anyway. It's based on Jonathan's book on moral foundations. And this is what he's found, and he's been studying this for quite a while, but the blues rely primarily on care, fairness, and liberty. Those are three things that they find really important. That's part of their moral foundation. But the reds, they have as their moral foundation care, 
fairness, liberty, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. The Blues rely on those three, and the Reds rely on six. So that's why you're going to find when you've got Blues and Reds, how different they are because of their moral foundations. Okay. I I love that tangent. (laughs) But I just want to come back to the tip. So we've got awareness, active listening, and I think you're going to the third one, right? Okay. Now I'm going to go. These are the traps to avoid. When you're having a conversation with anybody, traps to avoid, I call it. The intent impact trap. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but call it a trap to avoid. The intent impact trap. Got it. Oh. The second, the judgment assumption trap. We make assumptions, and based on the assumptions, we form judgments, and we may be totally off base. So the judgment assumption trap is the second. And the third is what I call the binary trap, the either or. Either you're for Trump or you're against Trump. You're either for Biden or you're against Biden. But people don't really necessarily think that way, but we get caught up in this binary trap. Avoid that trap and start thinking about other possibilities. There are many reasons why someone might support Trump. There are many reasons why somebody might support Biden. But the bottom line is, don't get into the trap of thinking it's an either-or situation. It's not. Don't get yourself into that trap. I just want to catch what you're saying. So I think this awareness, so being introspective and reflecting on what's happened in the past. So you're learning about, hey, I keep creating these same scenarios <laughs> in my head. Active yeah. listening, so reflecting back on the emotions and the gist and paraphrasing. Yeah. And then avoid these traps. Yeah. Into- versus impact, which is, hey, I had good intentions, but be aware it didn't land that way. And the when you're making judgments and assumptions, that trap, be become aware. And then the binary, it's got to be A or B. And we tend to go to that simplistic thinking when there's shades of all sorts of lots of different letters in that. Sure. <laughs> and now I'm going to tell you, these are the tools you should use when you're having these conversations. Okay. Tool number one, open-mindedness. Keep an open mind. Okay. Two, curiosity. Yeah. Be curious. It's interesting that Einstein, one of our greatest scientists, said, it's not that I'm so smart. He's, I'm curious. He just was so curious about everything, and he kept learning and learning. So curiosity. So if you have curiosity... You're there to learn from the other person. You're not there to judge. You're there to learn. So curiosity is a vital tool to use. And the third, empathy. Listen to the person. Try to put yourself in their place. Empathy. Very important tools. Now, (laughs) I came up with some mindful reminders based on all the things that I've learned. And I believe me, I continue to learn Okay, before you go there, because you've given yeah. our listeners a lot, and um, I want to make, we're going to need to, we're pulling it Finish together. Strong. And I think if you go to too many more things, you're gonna they're going to lose some of the important things you already gave them. So how about if you let our readers know, listeners know, where can they find you? Where can they get this information? Because I think they're going to, and you, yeah, they're going to need it in the months ahead. And so we strongly <laughs> encourage you to, yeah. Read your book. Yes. Read Common Ground. 
but certainly it will help them, I think, understand in a more three-dimensional way why some people are at each other's throats, why the polarization, and how to diffuse it, how to do it in a way that becomes problem-solving and not confrontation. Great. Con- and they can, find a, yeah. they can find your books, find you. And- Let them know how they can find yeah. you, Fred. Sure. Right. Reaching Common Ground is Barnes & Noble. They, wherever you want to go, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, it's all over. The, just like most other books these days, you can probably find it anywhere. And as far as me, you can find me at fredgolderresolutions.com. So I have Golder Resolutions is a webpage designed by my son-in-law. So if you go to <laughs> golderresolutions.com, then you can find some information there that might be helpful that will describe some of the things we've talked about today. And I, by the way, I owe the background I owe to my grandson because I could never do this background. He, okay. he prepared a nice background for me, my books in the back and some of the books that I really find very useful and helpful to in my research. Hey, we'll have to get Beauty of Conflict on your bookshelf. Ah, Beauty of Conflict. I love the title because so many people think of conflict as bad when really it, it is beautiful in a sense because it's the way people solve problems together. That's what it's about. It really I, yeah, exactly. Excellent. We love your point of view, Fred. Yes. And thank yeah. you so much for being on the show. I forgot to tell you, we keep it to a 30 minute length so people can sure. like commute and everything. Yeah. But we really appreciate all the data you've gathered in reaching common ground. So that's listeners. It's a good source of information about yourself and how to actually approach conflict differently, which we are all, we're big fans of. I I know you are. I've listened to some of your podcasts and I get it. How much can you listen to all at once? 30 minutes is a good stretch, but conflict is collaboration as opposed to confrontation. Think about it that way. Yeah. It's helpful. And the yes. goal is solving problems, which yes. I That's exactly right. You're not, when you're in conflict, I, I talked about this, you don't move without friction and you yeah. don't solve problems unless you have conflicts. You have to have conflicts to really move forward in any relationship, in anything you do, really. I yes. love it. Great. Anyway. Thanks so much, Fred. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate being on the show and you do a great job for your listeners out there. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Peace is in the air. (laughs) Okay. Take care. Well, thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. If you want to take some of what you've learned on today's episode to the next level, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. Go to www.thriveinc.com forward slash team kit to learn more. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T.